Welcome to the Five Phenomenon Podcast. I am your host, Shane Hazen, and with me again this week, uh, returning Ted Haycraft. The return. The return. The Ted man. Um, last week, I made a big stink about, um, I haven't done the what we've been watching, uh, or what I've been watching this last week, and I think the problem for me was that particular week, I just needed to fill it in, and I didn't have watch anything interesting that week, but based off of Letterboxd, I know you and I both watch some cool stuff this week. Yes, I uh, well, thanks to you, I got the I got to watch the trial of Chicago Seven. I mean, I've been kind of on a Sorkin thing lately because I watched I, I, I during the pandemic I've watched I watched two or three seasons of West Wing, so I'm kind of on a a, a Sorkin run. I I I live and breathe that. I used <laughs> to live and breathe that stuff. Um, it was it was funny because I posted something about Chicago Seven whenever it sold to Netflix about that. I had re- the script I had read. I was, Sorkin is one of those writers who, whenever a new script of his comes out, it leaks typically. And so Chicago Seven leaked after probably the writer strike of two thousand seven. Whenever this was supposed to be a Spielberg movie, it was like the second draft that I read. And for years, it was funny because I was bringing this up to a friend about on through email and about the problem with the movie is in the script it ends with a really inappropriate song. It's an Eminem song, Mosh, in the script. And you'll know the part in the movie where it was supposed to be. They didn't end up using it. Luckily, they didn't end right. up using it. But it's funny, the friend asked that um, question. He's like, what song was it? And so I couldn't find the script and found it in my archived email. And I found it in an email I had sent to that friend 10 years ago complaining about the Eminem song. Wow. I thought, I, I thought for a minute he was going to... Uh, I thought, uh, it ended with uh, Crab Nash's Chicago, and that'd be too on the nose. <laughs> what song? It's a, he wrote something about Chicago. We will change the world. There uh, was, I can't remember the other. I, I only re-skimmed through it. There was actually another better song, but it was one of those budgetary, the score was one of the unfortunate things. It's like what movie, I was, I, I thought. Thinking about when I was watching Ken Burns' Vietnam, I thought, is is he got to Kent State, I'm like, is he going to use the Neil Young song? Is he going to use the Crosby Still Nash and Young song? Or is that too on the nose? Is it going to really work? And he made it work really well, I thought. Well, I think Sorkin has a little bit more of a big chill Forrest Gump taste in 60s, 70s music. Ken Burns or, or Sorkin? Sorkin. Yeah, but I was I was amazed he didn't go uh, he didn't go real popular. Uh, he didn't. He didn't, he, he didn't really go at all, really. Uh, yeah, this the still, script had some more of that, but my, my my feeling on the script is it reminded me a lot of the work that Sorkin did uh, for Charlie Wilson's War, where if you read the original draft he submitted for that versus the finished movie, Mike Nichols worked him down to a more less Sorkin voice. He's not, Sorkin stuff, which I'm sure you've witnessed having watched so many seasons of West Wing like he's got a very distinctive I I never think that voice voice. was in this movie that much yeah and it gets certain directors have worn it down since this was originally supposed to be a Spielberg movie then eventually became Paul Greengrass movie and then it became a Ben Stiller movie for a while and did you say it follows that the animated one, the one that was... Uh... It's not mentioned in the credits, but I originally heard that it's the... Um, what's his name? Brett something? He he directed um, The Kid Stays in the Picture. He has an animated style of documentary, but he did that movie Trial Chicago 7. Or just... Is it called Chicago 7 or Trial Chicago 7? I forgot. I, I, I think I got a copy, but I that, don't know. If I, I, never, I never watched it. I yeah, and, and one of the things that was, was bugging me quite a bit during the movie is it's that problem I have with all biopics is every, every time you see something that sounds like that that seems to um, 
dramatic to be true, it turns out usually it wasn't true. Well, what about that clip of Con- Conkite? Uh, Walter, right at the beginning it goes, did he say, go, did, what do you say? It's a great, it was just it was a wonderful opening. That little montage at the beginning, and he says it's oh, a police state, or yeah. yeah uh, well, I'm nothing that happened in Chicago surprised me. I've mentioned that I I've been my one of my pandemic reads has been the uh, Richard Pearlstein um, trilogy on the or um, which is now the fourth book just came out of the history of the conservative movement from Goldwater till Reagan's election, and the second book, uh, Nixon Land, has a really good what really happened in. 68 the whole theme of a lot of his writings is generally that as worried as you are right now about the how it seems like there's a lot of crazy voices in america a lot of crazy extreme voices one of the points he makes is as combing through the media and all these local newspapers those voices in america have always been crazy they just have never social networks have not allowed us to see bring those exaggerated voices to light as they are right now so but yeah, I mean, well, you you lived through it. Do you remember any of it? No, no, no. I'm 68. I, I was uh, I was like nine years old, and, um, and you know, into comic books and cartoons and movies and stuff. So <laughs> I don't. I I was uh yeah. My I I mean, what little politics was I was uh, hit me was just uh, not not much. Uh, I I can't say I was uh, anywhere into that. Even though I had I had a you know I had an aunt that uh, uh, campaigned for McGovern, I got a little McGovern campaign bank in my collection somewhere. Really, and uh, my uncle was a my uncle only five years old to me was super super counterculture, so he was in the air and all that and the record albums and the magazines I'd seen in his bedroom and and ramparts and all that stuff it was all there floating behind me, but I let uh, more pop culture stuff stay dominant and. Well, one of the reasons I wanted to bring up Sorkin is he, he made news, I think it was this week or last week, saying that he's he's been pushed for a while that he wants to make uh, write a sequel to Social Network. And what was interesting about what he said was he said two things. One, he would only do it if David Fincher will direct it. But he said he the, the what he would base it on is the Roger McNamee book, Zucked, which Roger McNamee is a significant talking head in the movie I was pushing last time you were on, Social Dilemma. And so that's going to be, if he actually does write the, the um, sequel, Social Dilemma is going to give you a little bit of an idea of what the movie's going to be about, too. Interesting. Yeah. So, but this week, you, this week's your pick. And yeah, it was going to be, uh, before the pandemic hit, uh, I'm doing a series of uh, film series that ties into the Victory Film Festival, which got off to a good start. Well, over a year, uh, you know, last year, and they won't, you know, because thanks to the pandemic, it won't happen this year. But I uh, saw uh, so, uh, Matthew Alm let me just kind of run rampant with my favorites and get to talk about them. And it was going to be this film we're going to talk about now Robin and Marion, directed by Richard Lester. Yeah, so Richard Lester. Well, you know, let, let me back up just a, little, just a second here. I, you know, I, uh, early, uh, I don't know, probably when I'm around the time I met you, uh, my holy trinity of cinema was. Orson Welles, uh, Sergio Leone, and Michael Mann. Mm-hmm. And that was my holy trinity. And uh, somewhere, you know, I just over the years, Richard Lester kept on creeping up. Kept, so wait, Richard Lester wasn't in your holy trinity? No, the holy trinity is, is a trio. You know, the uh, trinity. And no, no, I get, I, yeah. I, I know numbers. No, no, you never. I, when I came up with devised that, I just thought that was kind of a cute term, holy tr- cinema trinity. 
and uh, and uh, there was and I could go we we could do a whole podcast why those three, but uh, but the more I think about it, the more I examined it, uh, I uh, really I actually kicked out Michael Mann and put Richard Lester in there, uh, which you know because uh, and it's a problematic filmography, and we could well, we might touch upon it here at some point, but. He, uh, we can go in some of the reasons why I, I, he's so important to me as a film fan. And I want to say, and I don't know, Shane, what, I'd like to hear your reaction to this, but I think he's seems to be knocked to the side. He seems to be overlooked. And a lot of times these books that come out now say the thousand directors that you need to check out or are they, are they these directors, yeah, he's not even mentioned anymore. He's not even listed in, 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 in books on uh, major directors. And there's pre, I think there's several reasons for that. But uh, Well, this gets to... Do you, we, we talked about what episode to do on Facebook. So I I don't think you saw my, you wouldn't have seen my reaction to it, but you, you, you glean what my reaction to when you picked this movie was, right? Yeah. Uh, I thought, uh, yeah, well, talk about, I was not that excited about this. I, yeah, I didn't, yeah, I didn't realize, I thought we had, I thought maybe you were up for that or not, but yeah, I was surprised. And the fact that I think you said, you said that you didn't, uh, you didn't have a memory of not carry much for it the first time you watched it i well i rewatched it last night and i was largely indifferent to it but it, it's we'll, we'll 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 get into that but the problem i had was that um you have talked about richard lester before we've right at the beginning of the podcast we went on a, the local npr affiliate and did an episode of two main street david james's show and we picked our favorite directors and you talked about richard lester there yes and that wasn't the first time on the show you talked about richard lester am i correct on the, on David's show, David, yeah, well, he he actually uh, the, the first time I went on to talk movies with David James was uh, a list of top ten films. Yeah, and so and then when you were on your episode earlier, you talked about Three Musketeers, and after we were done, you were like, I want to do a full episode on <laughs> that, and it's just you have talked about Richard Lester before. This is this not on here though. Yes, you have. I know we're on to Main Street for sure. No, we talked three musket before that episode. That episode had just aired right after we recorded cuz you I would pick your brain about why cuz you would frequently uh, okay, say that's three right, four musketeers we, oh, yeah, are your favorite. My my intro but the, the hour spent about my background. Yes, okay. Yeah. And so well, I found it fascinating cuz I had a bad reaction and then I backed off of it just because I think a lot of us all have these hills we want to die on with certain directors, especially <laughs> directors we found um, right when we were figuring out what our, for lack of a better description of it, identity of taste is. Like, you, you came to list Lester because of Hard Day's Night and him directing, and you were a Beatles fanatic as a child, right? And then you started to realize that there was a strong cinematic voice that was not getting its props behind it and that he had made a bunch of other great movies that I don't know if you were discovering them in the 60s as they came along, but you eventually came back to them too. Yes, yeah. And I was, that's, I'm glad you brought that up about because, yeah, I was a Beatle fan uh, and thanks to my counterculture. Uncle, uncle was five years older than me. Hmm. He was actually living in London when Beatlemania hit, uh, broke out. But he wait. So here I see Hard Day's Night on television, and I was just blown away. And I want to say I, this: I might be rewriting my own history here. Hard Day's Night might be much more of a game changer for me than the Leone films. Uh, I, that wouldn't surprise me in one bit. Because I think I, you know, with the Western, it was you know, it was a Western genre. The uh, Clint Eastwood, I thought was more responsible than I, you know, finally about no, it's Leone, it's Morricone, 
But when I see Hard Day's Night, I saw these things happening, like John Lennon disappearing in the tub, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the, the the breakout in the Can't Buy, uh, Can't, uh, Buy Me Love, the dance, they're all in uh, slump, that music video, lack of a better word. Well, there, there's, a, there's a bunch of Ted DNA stuff in Robin and Mary in particular, Sean Connery coming up. But the other the other joke I was, th- or point I was going to make was that... Um, when I used to, when I still lived in Austin, would come home every year uh, for Christmas, mostly before New Year's. We'd end the year, me, you, and uh, past guest Aaron Smith would hang out at High Hop, usually all night, one night, and we'd always call it, I called it jokingly, the Richard Lester dinner because inevitably, without fail, you and Smith got into the argument about whether Richard Lester was the godfather of the music video. Your point being that he won the first Video Vanguard Award at the the uh, MTV Awards are the first time they gave out the Lifetime Achievement. Yeah, but I want to de- I want to specify that more. I mean, I just that's kind of that's the that's the Aaron gets me on the broad statement. It maybe I would uh, maybe qualify and say modern music video, you know, or you know, postmodern music video or something. It's a it's a it's a it's a it's a I think it's a very valid argument to talk about. But. You, it's so funny because I feel you still stuck in the quicksand here, and I was I wasn't even against when we'd always come out. I'd always fall under like put banging my head on the table when you guys made the argument because I was just like I don't understand why is there an official title being given out? Who's given uh, it? No, I just I guess you know I always I just a lot of my heroes, Bob Dylan, Orson Welles, uh, all these uh, they, they all are they've started things they've they've. They've changed mm-hmm. things. Leone, you know, he changed the Western genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I guess I want to give something. I want to give something to Richard Lester to, to stand on. You know, well, the one of the first places before we had met, one of the first things I had read of yours when uh, when you were writing for News for You was a write up on. The, I was big into Steven Soderbergh, and you had written up the book Soderbergh had written. Uh, interviewing Richard Lester, his version of his Hitchcock Truffaut, but although it was mixed in with his journal but Soderbergh seems like the only person that's really given exactly I know it's you and Soderbergh <laughs> well we're good company uh no you, and you that's are. part of but you know you gotta understand too I want to, uh, going back to as a kid seeing hard days night think about this I had never seen any new wave films I you know I didn't really critically think about how commercials are put together and how quick they uh, do what they do Lester's taking all these elements and you know stirring them up in hard days night and uh so that was you know now I go back. Oh well, Louis Mao did this one film that has this stuff in it, and and, and there's Tate and Buster Keaton. You know, I it was probably my first exposure to a lot of techniques and things that Lester was pulling from. Uh, no, I, I I get that. I get that. So, so well, then let's get to the movie itself. When did you first see this? Robin movie? and Marion. I. Uh, of course, this is post Musketeers, so this is his first one after Musketeers, right? No, uh, it's Three Musketeers, Juggernaut, Four Musketeers, Royal Flash, and then Robin and Marion. Really? Yeah. I I, I IMDb'd it last night. I thought, I, but I was going years. I thought, uh, but all these came within like a seventy five, seventy six. They're all very close. Yeah, you know, he's he's he got he gets the Juggernaut job as he's post finishing up Four Musketeers. I mean, it's all shot. You know, know, part of my disappointment when you picked this movie was, I thought, I was like, you knew, like, could you pick my favorite Richard Lester movie, Patilia, or could we pick the movie I've been really wanting to see that I know is a gap in my Lester knowledge, which is Juggernaut? Yeah, we we can, well, we got, you know. 
No, no, you get one. You get one Richard Lester <laughs> oh, movie. That's it. Boo. You, no, that, that, I didn't warn you about that. You no, he one. deserves. He, need, he deserves. Uh, we need. We, we. You. This made the podcast. Where I turn him around and, and get him. You know. Well, uh, the, 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 w- ladies and gentlemen, wait for Ted's <laughs> podcast coming next year. Every Richard Lester movie. Yeah, we're walking through all, all Richard's movies, and they're all worth walking through. I, I believe it or not. It's called Ted's Hill. He dies on. <laughs> but um, I, I maybe we get guest star David Karen's. We get David Karen's. David Karen's. You want to explain who he is? He's a film professor, writer, critic. Uh, he's been showing up a lot lately, doing video essays on criterions and stuff. And uh, he did a he did some stuff on the Hard Day's Night Criterion. And he's uh, actually got to interview and talk to Richard Lester in person. And uh, we so I, we should definitely also go in. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll get to it later. I, I one of the fascinating things I really want to pick your brain about uh, his early retirement. Yeah, well, yeah, it's tragic. But, but so, anyway, Robin and Marion. So I, it's I'm I'm primed. I'm prepped for it because you got Sean Connery. I should have looked this up before we started this, but he's he's in the right in the midst of his, I think three of his best films ever. Well, it's the ones that hit you strong: Wind in the Lion and Man Who Would Be King, right? Man Who Would Be King and Robin and Marion. All I call it his kind of his costume epic adventure trilogy or whatever, and they're all back to back, and they're all they all got pretty good critics. We're pretty kind to all of them. I, were, were critics really kind to Robin Marion? Yeah, there was a mix, but there was some. There was some really because those good, first two, I I, I get that. I, uh, well, and and, uh, and I don't think Robin Marion did actually end up not doing that well at the box office. So Sean's on. He's on a roll here. Uh, we get Audrey Hepburn. We hadn't seen Audrey Hepburn for years. This is her comeback after she is semi-retired. We uh, we were discussing this beforehand. I thought the movie she did before retirement was Two for the Road, but you said it's Wait After Dark. I think it's Wait After Dark. I'm I'm thinking. I and then she did this, then didn't do anything until they all laughed. No, Robin and Marion's the first one. This is the fir- this, this is, is the, the only one in between one. them. Yeah, and uh, so was it, they made that, if you watch the trailer or you see the posters or whatever they, they or, and there was a you know big big hoopty dude. How did they back. get her to do this? Uh, well, I think she was ready to come back and start doing movies, and that she—I guess this is the script she picked. I had—I've actually—I mean, if, so I, if I've read what I, it's Connery, but it's also Robert Shaw. I, it's his first movie after Jaws, isn't it? Yeah, uh, is it? Uh, but what's what, what's more unique about that? You got Robert Shaw and Sean Connery facing each other. Obviously. Yeah, for, uh, from, from Russia with love. From Russia love. Yeah. Uh, you got uh, a little more dialogue between them this time. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, and you heard about Robert Shaw's performance in this thing. Uh, no. he apparently, uh, he, I think he was going through a drinking problem or something. Cause he was drinking on Jaws too. And, yeah, okay. Like well, in, yeah, well, in the Indianapolis speech, he was drunk. So he, uh, he, there was a problem. It, it, his performance was kind of like, uh, yeah, I forgot what Lester's problem with it was. It was, but he set Robert Shaw down, showed him the day, showed him the, the, the film and Robert goes, Oh gosh, yeah, this is terrible. So the entire all the entire Robert Shaw dialogue was redubbed by Robert there, Shaw. There definitely film. sounds like a lot of redubbing, but I mean, he looks—he looks dry through the movie. Like he just—I yeah. I, I, there's a certain sweatiness that certain alcoholics have on film, and and it just—I don't know. But he did redub the thing, and of course we can go talk about this later too about Lester's love of uh, post ADR. Well, um, yeah, <laughs> there, there, there's a—it wasn't. I didn't. Okay, I take it back. I didn't notice it so much with Shaw, but I noticed a lot of Audrey Hepburn uh, ADR. Yeah, like, and then just little things too. But anyway. Uh, so I go, it comes out. I actually have uh, cut out the ad and put it in my scrapbook at the time I, was, I had a scrapbook going. Do you remember where you first saw it? East Park, uh, which is still place south now. Okay. I loved it so much. Uh, How old were you when you saw it? What, 76, mm-hmm. right? 
So, uh, what am I? I was born in 58, November 58. Uh, do the math for me. 18? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. And I was, I loved it so much, I actually went back a second time, took my girlfriend to it. I was, of course, the funny thing was, both my girlfriend and I were, it were very, uh, in the midst of our very holy Southern Baptist days. So that one line that Audrey says at the end of the film, I'm like, <gasps> I was like kind of gritting my teeth. Uh, really? Yeah, I was like, I don't. I, I don't want to. We're we're going to talk the ending and spoil that, but do you want? Yeah, I well, don't think we need to spoil this line. That line's in the trailer, though. Really? <laughs> yeah, I couldn't believe it. I watched the trailer after I watched the movie this morning, uh, and I was like, really? They put that in the trailer? So, um, I I kind of did a quick combing through the Soderbergh book, which isn't as well divided into sections as say Hitchcock, Truffaut, and I really only found. Uh, two mentions main mentions of it the first one being that um um he said that that i, I get this is peter peter gruber he's not the one that was uh, uh barbara streisand's boyfriend that later came on it's john peters was that guy but mm -hmm. peters and gruber were ran in sony for a while right uh yeah peter gruber i guess was at columbia at this point and um He's uh, he sold Lester on doing this by saying this is Robin Hood twenty years later, and Lester's like I'm done before they even had the script. And then what ended up happening was Lester brought the movie in uh, uh, for below the line, not paying the stars, brought it in under a million dollars, but they they messed around with it, so they end up crossing up being six million dollars, and they decided it was going to be a family movie and. The, Lester says there wasn't an extensive amount of recutting, but they took the movie away from him and cut a lot of, not a lot of, but just if an arrow, if you saw a shot of an arrow, you wouldn't see the arrow hit inside the skin. They cut it out before then, and it really rubbed Lester uh, the wrong way. Um, yeah, I, and of course you got Ray Stark into it. Uh, it's a Ray Stark production too, and you go and Ray Stark's one of the old school producers mm. that would have a heavy hand. He was at Columbia at this point then. Yes, right? and the and uh, it was not supposed to be John. Here's the ironic thing: I love the John Barry score, mm -hmm. but it, that was not Lester's choice. He had, um, uh, I think, he had Michelle Legrand mm. from the Musketeers. I think he had a whole different score from Musk, uh, Robin and Marion, and that was chucked out uh, without Lester's. Uh, there, there seems like a very, how was it? Yeah, I guess it is kind of a traditional score, but I remember thinking John Barry's also on the DNA thing for you too. Yeah, I mean, and I, I'm trying to be more objective when I was listening. I loved it. I, I bought a, before the, there was ever a legit soundtrack for it, I don't, I, uh, there was a bootleg I bought, a bootleg <laughs> of it. But uh, I, I was a big John Barry freak. And I, I now I'm, I'm thinking, he probably didn't, number one, he didn't have much time, mm -hmm. possibly, if this was the story that he got, uh, he was, uh, a second choice for this thing and then number two that it, you probably so he had to crunch it so it's kind of more of a uh, kind of a, a fallback berry score maybe uh, a very easy to listen to very easy going mm. uh and not, not as challenging as berry can be at sometimes well one fascinating thing i found like i also did a i did a little bit of a deep dive onto um Wiki, deep dive going to wikipedia of Robin Hood cinematic movies, and this falls three years after the Disney animated movie. Uh, yeah, that sounds right. I didn't. I guess I. I, I was. I, I put the that Robin Hood closer to Jungle Book in my head, which that's like '67 or something, isn't it? For some reason, I just thought that was still in the '60s, and and Robin Hood was kind of a mini return to form for Disney, wasn't it? Yeah, it's still kind of in the aristocrats. Uh, it's a, it's kind of that post classic era. It's kind of that kind of over. I just, I just thought it was kind of considered like a little oasis of mm. uh, quality. 
I don't know. I, I, that's a good question. I, 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 my take is that it was just, it's in that little uh, pocket there that's kind of okay, but not that great. Well, this, <laughs> okay, here's a movie tangentially related to this because they have a similar, they have uh, one of the main stars is in both of these movies, but a movie, we, you were 18 when you saw this. I would have been 10 when I saw the movie I'm about to bring up. This movie's not beloved, but when I was 10, I loved this movie when I saw it at my cousin's house on video. Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Oh, Costner? Yes. I, well, you know. Because I didn't care about his mullet. I didn't care about inconsistent accents. I thought Alan Rickman chewing scenery was awesome. Um, I thought it was just like this, just such a cool cool ending and then when the king comes up at the king, end yeah. it's sean connery and i and of course which is I, a nod to is yeah, it a nod to this movie yeah it's a nod to this it's okay. a it's a, it's a uh, you know uh costner grew up on you know uh, when costner goes up to get his oscar he act, he he he, been over, he he referenced richard harris as his king as his king hmm. and you know richard harris is king uh, arthur in camelot but he's uh, richard harris is in robin and marion mm -hmm. as uh King, uh, King Richard, mm. which Sean is King Richard in the a non-insane version of King Richard. And uh, this, the, the Kevin Costner version. No, it's a fun film. I, uh, I, uh, that's where I get probably in trouble. I could have been a much more harsher critic. I, I know the, a lot of critics came down on it, and uh, mm -hmm. I, 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 no, I read, I re watching the last uh, Robin Marion last night. I, big, I just really wanted to rewatch Pence of Thieves to see if like it's. I can't imagine it's, it's as good as it is in my head. I cannot imagine it. It, it matches up to. A, but they're, they're just as proliferation. Robin Hood is is really tried quickly every few years. Basically, after Prince of Thieves came out, there was a little, little proliferation, and then they still had Mel, still for the rich, give it the poor. And then Men in Tights came out, the Mel Brooks movie, and then you got seventeen years where I don't see a big significant Robin Hood movie. There's some TV shows, and then you got Ridley Scott doing his, which to this day I still haven't seen. But you, I mean. There's just there's there's the great Looney Tunes cartoon. I'm, I mean, favorite versions probably got to be almost everyone's definitive version is the Michael Curtiz Errol Flynn. Errol Flynn, yes. Yeah, I mean, well, and then then the recent years there's that weird Jamie Fox, uh, Taron Egerton one. Right, yeah, a very strange one. I couldn't bring myself to watch I it. Still, I mean, I still have not seen that. I mean, which I mean, this is obviously your favorite though. Well. Yeah, I mean, it's it's playing, but here's the thing, I think the one reason Lester jumped on it because he gets to debunk this, he gets to debunk the hero, uh, and, and he acts. Uh, I think in the Soderbergh we're talking about the oblique approaches to the characters and, and and subjects. He's this is this is his forte. That's why he shouldn't have done Superman, but that's a whole. Yeah, thing. no, no, that, but, he, uh, he, yeah, we agree but on he, that. Uh, I mean, I just he loves you know I, I the, from the notes I took you know like. The whole, okay, so we should say this is the movie premise is uh, Robin and Little John have been with King Richard in the Crusades, and they're still down uh, at the tail end of this Crusades. Uh, and uh, Harris is just, uh, King Richard is just kind of gone off the deep end, and he passes away, freeing Robin and John, Little John to go back to uh, England, and they get back to share uh, the, the, uh, the forest. And uh, it's all overgrown, and they don't even recognize their own compatriots. And and Maid Marian's gone into a nunnery, and uh, so it's all. And, and but the sheriff's still there, and that's Robert Shaw, sheriff of Nottingham. And uh, so 
where you're seeing an older Robin that some of the stuff is true, but a lot of the stuff they're singing about and saying about Robin it wasn't true. Well, one of the big timeline problems, I, I confusion things I had was the 20 years after thing, just because when he went from the Crusades back in Prince of Thieves, that's that's the beginning of it. But he creates a legend after he comes back from the Crusades. Who does? Costner. The oh, Costner, Costner Robin Hood. One, yeah. No. And I was confused by that. So was he was he stealing from the rich and giving to the poor before the Crusades and Robin before, and Marion? Yeah, he was he was he was on the bad side. He was actually an outlaw, but then he decided, oh, oh uh, in this premise, he's going to take he's going to redeem himself by going off with King Richard and 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 do the Crusades. One of the big areas of confusion for me was, um, um, I don't know, Robin Hood. Was always, I never understood was an actual a given English last name. I I thought Hood was literally the referencing the Hood. The, you wore either the hoodie wore well that actually was part of the last English last name. But I thought it was the criminal basis of it, the Hood or something along those lines. Oh, I thought yeah. I thought it was something that was added too. So when they started calling on that, I was like, is the legend there yet? It just seemed all seemed premature. I I I had trouble grokking onto the legend story, which is why some of it felt premature when Audrey Hepburn started talking about it later just like you don't need to live up to the legend well you saw but you saw uh, uh, Willow Scarlet is that how you pre- is it Scarlet Willow Scarlet I, gosh, I that's terrible I should know that his name there's a little there's a fire tuck and there's Scarlet Willow Scarlet uh, Denim Elliot's character oh okay and he's the, 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 the music and he's the minstrel and he's singing the song and, and Robin, you know uh, Robin said we didn't do all that uh, oh yeah, there is a there is a. But he says, but but he does. They do reference. They did some of that, but it was not just. It's a bit overblown now. Ever since he's been gone, it's been bigger and bigger. The myth has gotten bigger. So he comes back with Sheriff of Nottingham, Robert Shaw. One um so. One thing I got up until the very end, at least, do you think Nottingham and and Con- or Connery and Shaw, their characters, were friends? No, they're they're more. Uh, it's more that because because Shaw's Nottingham doesn't respect uh, King John, played by Ian Holm. Right, because yeah, no, well, King John was kind of a. I think nobody respected King John historically. I think he was, you know, everybody loved Richard. Uh, the, uh, like Richard Harris, everybody loved King uh, Richard, uh, but he was more, you know, much more flamboyant uh, and much more heroic. That and King John was more as a kind of a Weasley kind of character. Um, of course, I'm probably letting movies and uh, and TV shows flavor my outlook. I should probably do their, their I I couldn't story. I couldn't find a definitive re, uh, historical legend on Robin Hood just because it it, got, it went through a few different centuries. So I I even think like it's matching with King seems like a little bit of a thing that we've just become accustomed to. No, I just think they were just they 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 were more uh, uh you call it the the rivals uh, they were uh, rivals to each other they respected. It's that that hero villain respect mm, the, the okay. traditional ver- a version of that i go, go, going to other dna movies of years i was for a while reading a little bit of pat garrett billy the kid into it but i think your take on it right here is more spot on it, it, yeah it, that's it, a little it, bit more complicated because uh, uh yeah the pat garrett and billy the kid story but um yeah it's just uh and of course uh uh robert shaw plays see the thing about i i love about lester and getting to what some of the things i like about lester is is a little dry humor and asides that are just filtered throughout the script. 
Uh, and, and of course, it, it has to be in the script. I, but so Lester said that he did some rewriting, but that's part of if you watch Lester's film, you know he's going to have some input on that. Yeah, sure. Uh, there's some cool stuff that's coming through the books. Of um, there's a main Lester writer is named Christopher something. Chris? Uh, Escherwood. Probably. Well, he was talking about these great writers he was working with right around the time he retired. And he said at one point he was writing with uh, Escherwood, um, Tom Stoppard, yes. and, uh, um, oh, God. Um, Orton. He was, he was associated with Orton. Well, that prick up your ears, you know. The re- really dry playwright. I'm, I'm blinking. I can't believe him. But Pinter? Yeah, he was working with Pinter. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. he was and it was funny because he was telling this story. He's basically working with all three of them at the same time and then none of the movies went forth. So he's working, he couldn't pay any of the three of them. Well, and I think, and, and it's interesting that you, you name drop those. Those are, see, Lester's a kind of an intellectual kind of guy. Yeah. And, he, and it, it and, comes across in the book too. Yeah, he's very, very smart uh, and, and, and very forthcoming when he speaks. Uh, and I love the, the other aspects of why this, I think this film's so great. Is uh, is this is coming from the Musketeer movies? I I and I I wonder if there's a precedent. I'm sure there has been done before, pre Musketeer movies, but uh, I love Lester's uh, uh, the scene setting. I, what's that? The versim what's versim versimilitude? Yes, the uh, you you almost uh, last night when I, this morning I was watching it, uh, you feel like sometimes the scenes are almost documentary. He's got like extras that look like real people, yeah. not actors, and they're like cutting the chickens. And there's the the tax collectors, and there's just dirt in the street, and there's noises and, and garbage. And the, as musketeers had that too, where you had a dentist working in the street, you had people throwing their garbage out in the street. Uh, this whole uh, non Hollywood look. As, there's there's definitely that. There's there's an element to. I was a little impressed with some some of the compositions in this because I think the one that knocks against Lester is that he's he's very fast and loose with composition a lot of times he's very fast and loose with the filmmaking stuff in general like but he would he would you know find a have a camera find a person he he mentions in the book not really caring at all about marks or letting people like letting the camera find actors and things like that and but there's some there's some really good like he's a big long lens shooter and there's some really gorgeous vista gorgeous david watkins this is great cinematographer this would have been the same years as barry linden and barry linden's obviously going to be a very more wide angled um uh more painterly type thing but but these english countryside vistas still come across oh yeah and i wanted to say that i think the sauterbo book uh lester talks about the fuji stalker Watkins playing with it uh, in this one particular scene. Doesn't surprise me. And I'm, I'm, I remember the theater. I remember it distinctly. You're at uh, they're, they're looking at the uh, funeral procession of King Richard, and mm. it's all this granite gray drab look uh, of stone and pathways and gravel. And then they're going to head. This is where they're going to head London. And there's this hard cut, and the John Barry theme kicks in, and also we see this green. Mm. landscape and i swear it in the theater it was like it was almost like whiplash it was like such a well the, uh, he shoots with these really long lenses but he has in so many of these he has to be from a really high vantage point to get these shots it was just it was a really a wonderful transition that i just i i, I, uh, I don't know if it comes across as much watching it at home so, than it did in the theater so you know i i didn't know you know what my actual original reaction to this movie was the one thing i took away from it was movie stars in the woods that a lot of this movie was movie stars in the woods <sighs> really? which, which and to be fair when i was rewatching again I, I remember that was my reaction and 
That's not true. They're, they're, yeah. Especially once you get to the end. Because like, there's not... one scene where I mean, Sean's jumping off a tree and I don't think he's got his under... Uh, how much that I didn't know that how much is he not wearing pants the entire movie I guess not. what, what was one, it is him, him with one, shorts the entire time is it like a kill thing what yeah and he's and at one point he's like he got the undercloth when he jumps he's like I think I saw yeah him. he jumps out of a tree yeah. and you, you you see a crack I think yeah I'm like okay Sean yeah uh, and uh, that the, the 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 there's one scene where after they they uh, rescued these nuns from the sheriff they take them back to the forest and, and Audrey's uh, on the wagon and the wagon goes into the, and the wagon goes into the creek. Uh, that's a mistake. It wasn't supposed to happen. And then Lester worked, used it, worked it. He kept it. Yeah. Okay. Now this gets to another issue. I don't want to put you on the spot to defend Lester on this because I don't know if this is a Lester flaw. I'm it, okay. Going really briefly back to the very beginning of the episode, not Lester related, but stuff we watched this week, right before I had made the mistake of watching this as a double feature for watching. Um, have you heard of the play that won the Pulitzer last year, uh, What the Constitution Means to Me? Heidi yeah. Shrek. They just put it on Amazon and Marielle Heller directed it. It's it's also weird this year. I feel like the best movies I've seen in the, the hellish 2020 pandemic year have been these uh, previous years filming Broadway plays. We got the uh, American Utopia, the uh, Spike Lee's version of the uh, David Byrne show is com- just came out this week. And then I don't think it went significant to Hamilton, but it was really good. And so it really put me in this frame, this movie is named Robin and Marion. So Marion is half the, the the character's subject of this movie. And this movie, just well, the, the portrayal of women, just she's dumb and, and just crashes. She gets punched. Uh, she tries to kill herself when uh, Robin leaves the first time. Is just there's. But this is a woman of the medieval times too. I it, guess. I mean, how do you? I mean, I'm not, I'm not, not that, that I'm not, I'm not trying to. Sure, sure, yeah. Uh, be anti-feminist here or anything like that, and and, you, and there's things you can do. I thought she was a pretty strong woman. I um, think she's strong in her performance, but in the writing, no. Uh, she 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 was, gets punched. Okay, this gets another weird thing I've noticed. Do you? Remember? Well, that's yeah. The Rob. Well, that's yeah. That uh, okay. Irv, do you remember the Irving Kirshner movie, to, um, um, uh, Fine Madness? Have you ever seen that? Doesn't Connery punch Joanne Woodward in that? Yeah, or, well, I mean, there used to be there. Well, that, that used to be a humor stick, which I don't think is kosher anymore. And, he, and he's punched. Uh, he, uh, he punched guys Bond, punching he, women. Uh, well, and he punched Bond girls too, uh, didn't he? Uh, for humor, for the sake of humor. Uh, this does not age well. well at all. <laughs> and it didn't. It really watching what the Constitution means to me. Which um, one of the main points she makes at the end is that the number of women. Um, I don't know if it's uh, who've seen violence in their lives or or uh, have been killed by a, a, a lover or a partner has grown in the last century. Well, just the only thing I can I'm not I I don't want to get the wrath of uh, uh, people on me on this, but uh, I want to say I just think in the context of the film and the context of the time it's taking place mm-hmm. and her character, she's uh, the the set the scene. She's supposed to, uh, the, the, the Pope, they're having problems with the Pope, uh, the, the government in England, with King John, with the Pope, and they're, they're, they have to arrest all the high-ranking Catholic people uh, mm-hmm. in, the, in the country. So as a nun, and she's supposed to be the head of the that abbess, okay. Abbey, or uh, the Abbey, that she's, and so she's, and she's, she is going to go, okay, I'm going to go in, but she's, she's not happy with it, 
but she wants to, she, she's going to keep her Abby going and helping people out. She is going to go in and surrender herself that no matter true. what. Is she true. is going to do it no matter what. Uh, and Robin says, no, you're not going to go in. I'm going to save you. you no, know, you can't do that. You know, and Robin's trying to be this the, the heroic guy, and she's not going to uh, give him a not let, she, so, He's trying to heroically not let her martyr herself. Yeah, and, and so he goes, okay, well, I'm, the only thing I can do is knock her out and get her back in the forest and talk to her then and, not, and, and save her that way. So that's the reason he hits her to knock her out, because uh, she's going to yell and scream and fight and and, okay, and tussle. This... I, I mean, and and you're, I know at the time you're supposed to oh I kind of laughed. At yeah, him, but this also may just be an unfortunate double feature for me too of like making me really laser in on this with a modern lens. But but okay, um, do we want to we want to set a spoiler thing and talk the ending now? Well, let's, uh, yeah, I guess we get there. The uh, or what? What else do you have to talk about? Well, just you know, I just well, there's all kinds of stuff like I I, I, know I need to see my notes and try to talk to this mic is kind of hard. Um, I do. Oh wait, I do want to talk about Lester's ADR thing because I, uh, I finally put my finger on my problem with the Lester ADR thing. Okay. Well, okay. Do you want to describe? Well, what, what, you so know, just you, like you said you, in the past, what you love about him well, putting like, put like, on uh, the sidelines. You you hear uh like with uh, King Richard. Is confronting uh, little John and Robin, uh, and you hear uh, like little servants in the background, and they and they, it groans, or they might say a little side, or like uh, or uh, the unfortunate one I noticed is whenever after um, uh, Marion crashes into the lake, Robin has to pull a, pull around. He's like, "Oh, you put some weight yeah, on." Yeah, that's exactly. Put your you put you put weight. This on. is an ADR line. Whenever the characters' lips are not on screen, so it's something added in after the fact. Yeah, even though I think I saw a real bad, blatant one where the lips are not moving, and it was uh, I I forgot I didn't write that down. But so he he and a lot of times he does that uh, to uh, actually. What's so interesting is a lot of it adds to the humor. It's a humor. It's adding a little a level of humor to the whole film, the story. And that's why I think he, and he, he does it all the time. I put my finger on this because there's a Patton Oswalt bit about uh, him being a comedian who's hired by studios, usually on animated movies to uh, or comedies, to punch them up. They'd hire a bunch of comedians to uh, rewrite some jokes in the scripts. And he has this bit about where he we get hired to do animated movies and he'd say, Oh, you should cut this scene or move this scene around. And the movies would be so expensive and 60 to 80% done that they can't change anything. So the executive would tell them like, you need to write something. Someone yells at you off screen. And Patton Oswalt describes it as, Oh, you want to write funny jokes that people off screen can yell over the unfunny, interesting action to make it a comedy. <laughs> and then he ends up like, he, the rest of the bit has him telling some really tactless jokes about uh, lines he would add over Auschwitz footage or 9-11 footage. Uh, but it was just this joke about like... Yeah, but, I mean, you know, but I, Lester's just... He, I, I, he just constantly would do that. All, I remember Musketeers where, uh, again, the uh, uh, there there's these little uh, uh, little people as uh, they have plates of food and uh -huh. they're serving in a big ball. And they're making. You get to hear this little running commentary, like you know, uh, mm. uh, 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 making fun of the aristocrats. You know? you, but, you always reference a Faye Dunaway line. In yeah, the Faye one. She's put on weight. That's another put on weight. Oh, yeah. Where they, they carry in a carriage, and and like oh, she's put on weight. Yeah, you can you know, and they're just oh, like okay. it's just uh, and it adds you know so that that static. It's, and it, we you know we. Have I, I see. About, I see where Richard Lester's head's at. Uh, it's is. <laughs> Uh, and and he does static scenes. He doesn't like, he doesn't cam. He doesn't move the camera hardly at all. Have you noticed that? 
He's not much of a, uh, it's mostly, uh, it's... yeah, no, I mean, the, the, the long lens ways means like, y- yeah. You, and I'm you also think he's a, a proponent of uh, shooting like with three camels at the same time. I do think that I do. Yeah. I do get a sense that, um, what, what he, I'm, I'm, I kind of, I was kind of wondering what he would do if the modern, modern system right now, where a lot of multicam shooters are a little more. Because there was a part in the book I was reading where he was talking about shooting Superman and about how it was easy because you'd have four units going at the same time and, and all he'd have to do is walk back and forth between the units and just let a lot of people figure out the special effects stuff themselves. And like I I, I almost wanted to ask you, what do you think he would do with a, a Marvel movie right now? Cause I could say, but I, he would... Because you, you, you have this alternate thing of like, he's too much of an auteur, he's too much of an intelligent person to like... But at the same time, he didn't have Final Cut his entire career, did he? Um, that's a good question. I, I don't know what. Uh, well, I mean, you know, he seems very collaborative. He's very open well, to happy ben accidents. Room and how won the war? I mean, who? I mean, I, I think the studio. I don't know who else would have would want to cut that thing. <laughs> uh, there's John Victor Smith as his main editor. Uh, he had his main uh, David Watkins, and he had John Victor Smith as main editor uh, and camera on Robin and Marion. So this is real protean Richard Lester film. And he's a he's a fast shooter. He, yeah, yeah, he's fast shooter. He's not real. That was an interesting question when I talked to Mark McClure and Margot Kidder about Lester, and then I talked to these are people from Superman. Superman, yeah, too. And then I talked to the the woman who played the uh, Kryptonian, uh, Ursula. Uh, Ursula I, is that uh, is that her name? I can't think of the actress's name. Sorry. One of Zod's uh, uh, right. psychics. And she's oh yeah, he's great. He was wonderful. You know he's you know and then and then I talked to the other ones and I uh, they were they were not too happy about Lester and I think it, well some of it was the, the the politics going on the studio politics and the Saul between Brothers Superman one Superman two and all that mess we, but the one thing is Donner is a much more warmer hey let's have fun and and talk to the actors and and, and he's on the set and doing and Lester's like here there's the scene cut it shoot go yeah Lester uh, there's some other things where Lester said he doesn't like sets and he was talking about a lot of the energy sometimes that's in the movie is just so he can end the day early and get onto a tennis court. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, but uh, talk about a couple other things before we get to the end. I'm just the opening of the film with the shot of the apples. And then the buzzard. Mm, that and then, was, and, and, then, the, and the buzzard comes in later too. Right, and the apples, of course, come in later too. And then the uh, the two so- soldiers, foot soldiers, look scrambling for a rock. Well, is it? And when do you get the first shot of the guy with the eye missing? Right up there, there at the beginning. There, it's uh, a. It's uh, you, you go. You were talking earlier about the peasant faces. It's a. It's a. It's a stellar face. Yeah, well, you, this one-eyed guy. They're 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 outside of a castle at the beginning of the film. King Richard has heard there's a treasure that he should get, that he wants. He tells Robin and Little John to go get it. And all the castle, all it has is uh, children and women and this old one old man with a missing an eye. And the treasure is not, doesn't exist. It's just He's a, got this really interesting thing where his lid is like pushed all the way to the back of his socket. It's yeah, really... Yeah, close up of that. Yeah. And, the, and you get to the end, there's a, just the old man says, it's just a rock. It's a relic out in a tunic field, you know, a turnip field. And uh, so... Uh, they, these, so you get this scene of these foot soldiers, these big, and they got their helmets on. It's an, and you're in uh, the Holy Land. You know, it's, it has, they had to be melting inside there. They they heads butt. 
you know, just because their helmets, they can't even see how, what they're halfway doing. And their helmets kind of clunk together. Mm. They get the rock out. They're grunting and groaning to get this rock to the catapult. And then they shoot the catapult, and the rock doesn't even hit the wall. Yeah, I couldn't and, tell that was a mistake or and, what. You know, course, that was, that was, yeah, And, of course, funny. Monty Python fans now, and, and everybody's much, and Monty Python's a much bigger deal. They're going to say, well, that's a Monty Python riff. But, you know, when you look at the history of... I was thinking Monty Python a lot during this movie because the helmets look very similar. The low-budget low, yeah. low way of finding the castles that are we still... We established Holy Grove came out. 75, I think. I think, well, it was funny. The other thing I kept thinking when you were talking about the peasants is someone sent me an article a while back that said that Monty Python for the Middle Ages was actually one of the most historically accurate versions, portrayals of it. And the only reason they cited it was because it's the only Middle Ages movie that actually refers to how much shit was all around. Yes. And no plumbing and no cleaning. And Lester, again, Lester did that too. And he did the Musketeers, which does predate Grell. Uh, it, you know, we go back, here's the significant history of English humor for all you Python fans out there. You got the goons, the radio 50s, which Mike Milligan and Peter Sellers were part of. And from the goons, you go to Richard Lester. And from Richard Lester, you go to the Pythons. And the Pythons have acknowledged Lester as a, as a, a big influence. It's a, it's a straight line, and you can't deny that uh, as far as I can, uh, I feel. There's so, also a, a, a odd offset I've always thought of Lester going like um, I don't think I don't know if the goons were on Truffaut's radar, but there was something in some of the stuff in Shoot the Piano Player where there's a similar yeah, mindset yes. going into the if I lie, may my mother die. Think, oh yeah, like that. yeah, exactly. Uh, the uh, well, I mean, I mean Lester, uh, he his, he's obviously a, a disciple of the New Wave. Yeah, and, well, you, uh, you mentioned that earlier, and, and uh, that, that, I agree. I agree on that. Uh, the and I think I think one of the reasons I love Lester so much is that, you know, growing up in uh, in America and watching all these nice clean costumes and nice clean adventures and nice clean this and that, uh, I love the look of his co- going back in Musketeers, going to this the the, the costume Yvonne Blake, uh, costume uh, designer. Uh, the look of the costumes look real and lived in and and realistic as opposed to something off the back lot of Warner Brothers mm. or something. Uh, the dirt, the grind, the the, the feel, uh, the people in the background, uh, uh, and then fight scenes or like well, there's a scene where uh, Robert Shaw's going to start his expedition to the Sherwood. He does his little prayer, but he has to he he has to get he, he has trouble getting up. He's got all this metal on. Mm. And he's old. He's getting old. So he actually, he look at, he's not just like, you know, prouncing out there. And they they start fight scenes, or they're they're pushing it at each other. They're grunting and groaning and sweating and bloody. And they're not these nice clean, uh, you know, action CGI action fight scenes we have now. They're they're definitely you can see that in the numbers at the end. But I remember they end up having the full blown fight. But I remember before that happened, I noted to myself like one really low budget way of getting around a fight is to have a contest of champions. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, because eventually uh, the sheriff and uh, Robin go one on one near the end, and whoever wins wins the day, and the other team is uh, the other group is supposed to uh, retreat. Uh, Which goes back to in that 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 whole fight is 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 portrayed with their level of respect for each other, which yes. you were talking about earlier. Right. In fact, before they start the fight here again, this is the little lesser touches that I'm sure uh, I just love. I could just go on and on about. He, uh, they both sit, they both kneel down, put their swords, and they mm. do a little prayer. That was cool. And and Robin reaches out and helps 
the sheriff back up uh, at, at his elbow intentionally. Before the day of that fight, going back to what you were talking about, the legendary stuff, I, for, to me, so much of the of the broader story just wasn't grokking to me. And a lot of uh, Hepburn saying, like, I don't want the le- I, I don't care if you're going to be a legend or not, didn't make sense. And there's um, a scene the night before where she goes to John, Little John's, tries to talk him into talking out of it. One, in the Soderbergh book, they mentioned that was a reshot scene. And Lester says he doesn't reshoot stuff, but that was one of the few ones he had to reshoot. And also, it's weird, John is portrayed, th- this belies another point I want to make about the movie. John is almost portrayed, he mentions that he's had some feelings for Marion in the past. It's almost like he's Lancelot. And there's a lot of vibe in this movie of mixing Arthur and Robin Hood. <laughs> Uh, Do you, well, especially in other terms, Connery does shoot a bow and arrow quite frequently through a movie, but the majority of his movie is sword fighting. Yeah, right. Uh, well, I mean, like I said, uh, I think debunking the myth and Robin Older and 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 Lester getting in there and playing with it, I don't think he's going to go to the the, the, the go to things. Well, shoots lots of arrows. Uh, little John's a faithful guy. I mean, <laughs> I almost want to. I'm almost want to say. There could be a possible subtext uh, reading of uh, Little John and Robin, the bromance. I actually have a very big point once we've actually talked through the end on that. Yeah, that's... Which I think, it sounds like you and I are on the same page right now. And, but then Little John also, feelings from Marion too. Uh, I I, I disagree with what you said earlier about uh, the, the, uh, I think uh, there is enough of uh, you said that this the whole over a story that it wasn't big enough, right? Or something. Is that what you said? No. Uh, but there was. Uh, uh, okay, I lost my train of thought here. The that uh, the the main point is you disagree with me on this. <laughs> no, but I mean, I th- I had a there I, is conflict a, and a, conflict a, is interesting. No, I had a specific comeback for that, and I want as opposed to just saying I disagree. I I, I it's just too easy. Um, is this a Marion point where I was hard well, on? Well, I Marian? think maybe you know this fact. I think um, she. She spells out that she was really the legend stuff. I have problems with the the compression of the legendary. And story. she's really in love with them. They actually had a house in Sherwood. She talks about how the house was, and she says her confessions were the envy of all the nuns, because uh, you know she was confessing all the wonderful sex she had with Robin. And hmm. uh, and that scene where he, she looks at his body and he's got all these scars. Again, another touching scene. Uh, that we I think was another kind of a new angle that we hadn't thought of. But of the hero there... being so messed up and scarred. You know, we're used to our heroes just going on and on. You know, uh, Charles Bronson, Clint Eastwood, whoever. This leads into Indiana Jones showing off his scars and then his dad turns out to be Bond. Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah. There's, you know, they all, they, all these movies talk to each other. Well, but there's also, before that, I can't remember if it's near that scene or before that where uh, she asks, like, how many people did you make love with? And he's like, they all look like you. <laughs> What's and Speaking of all these little connections, What's the uh, Spielberg film with Richard Dreyfuss? Uh, uh, always. Always. I think... If but she's I'm, an angel. Right. Audrey's an angel, but guess what? I think the original... The, the originally, what I wanted to go was there's supposed to be Sean Connery as the angel. I, I mean, we almost go down a giant list of movies Connery wasn't in. I was hearing the other day that someone was talking about uh, showing some love for Star Trek V and Cybox, uh, um, um, Spock's half-brother in there, they originally went for Connery for that. I'm not surprised. But again, the, the, like, Aud- no. the Audrey-Sean uh, connection, I, uh, you know, these all these little connections, that seems so interesting. But I, I, she just really, I think she really, I think they get, a, get it across that she really, 
loved Robin, and why did Robin leave? And again, I love the nonchalant. It's kind of, uh, as much as it was realistic, some of the dialogue is very modern, very kind of nonchalant. My favorite noted thing is the opening there, right? When they when he first gets back, and it's her, one of her first lines, too, is like, uh, he's like, Marion, I haven't thought of her in years. And then when they show Marion, she's just like, Robin, I haven't thought of him in 20 years. <laughs> yeah. That I that was And then later he goes, uh, uh, you never wrote. I don't know how to write. You know, <laughs> I, you know, this was, I just love that. I mean, yeah. and, and, and Lester, you know, uh, Lester films, the really good Lester films, the really, really entertaining ones have a lot of those kind of lines sprinkled through them. I mm. just love that. So, okay. Are, do you want to finish your notes? Are we, are we ready think, to go uh, to the end? I, I think, I, oh, just again, there's a couple of scenes where uh, he's, uh, he's acknowledging uh, paintings and uh, paintings and stuff that if you're familiar with uh, middle of the paintings and, and history, there's like a, there's a wizard, uh, look, a looking wizard type in the King Arthur's court, the King Richard's court, that it's taken right from a painting somewhere I can't think of. You remember that guy with the kind of a cone cap and the beard? He's just kind of, stand, just kind of standing there. No, I don't remember that. And then there's another scene where they're riding on horseback and they pass these beggars and they're all in ropes. They're tied together, kind of walking down the court, down the the road. Just little uh, things that are evoking paintings of middle up in that time period or or paintings of that time period back to your Barry, back to the Barry London right and which was really cool he invented well, there was one point where they go by a, a, the people working in the field and one guy's one armed you know it's like that Fellini Leone casting where you get you know mm. the people with handicaps and, and uh, missing arms and stuff too because of the people are dying of the plague and people didn't have life live long and people you know were struggled and uh, and Lester really wants to evoke that it's not all this uh, Hollywood sheen that we're so used to this is you know he puts these people in a real working reality and I love that about that well just funny back to my earlier point about what um, Peter Gruber ended up doing was he tried to make this a family movie <laughs> okay that that, that, that will morph into what we want. We're going to go to the ending here. Let me say right off, right off the bat, Lester, the original title for this film, and this is the one I think Lester wanted, was The Death of Robin. Okay. Um, that? So that, that would, that's why they probably changed the title. You know, if they, they want to make a family film, they want to have death in the title. I went a completely opposite direction, even though the direction I'm thinking of is youth-based. I thought Romeo and Juliet, and the point being that Romeo and Juliet, a better interpretation of that is neither of them needed to die. Why <laughs> did she do that? What was the point? Was he was he so far gone? Oh, no, yeah, he was gone. He, my interpretation, uh, again... Uh, then why does she have to go with them? Because she... Is it? Because the fact that, you know... She, she. It took her forever to get over him the first time, and now she's now it's going to be just as horrible again a second time to go through all that again. Why not go with him uh, in death? And I should I, I should be a much better scholar and know the uh, the Robin Hood stories, but I know that I, I, I'm pretty sure that that is and from the book, shooting the arrow and burying us where the arrow lands. That's from I think it's from one of the Robin Hood. I I didn't find a definitive Robin Hood book. Well, there there well, there's one it's in the 1800s. Like King, it's kind of King Arthur stories. It's like no no that was that was a point because like in uh, if you want to do King Arthur stories, more definitive modern one would be uh, Once a Future King, the yeah. e. White book, which came out in the late uh, no, 50s, right. and then a few years after this, you have Excalibur. So you have 
Um, one of the things that there are some Robin Hoods out there, I think. Is there beyond the Curtis uh, Errol Flynn one? There's not. No, 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 the books. I'm talking about books. Oh, I was good, but is there a definitive Robin Hood? There isn't because the and it, it makes no, it's, it, it, it makes a, it this property that everyone keeps trying to make a stab at well, every two or three there's years. There's no real definitive King Arthur either. Uh, Once a Future King and Excalibur. That's not, but yeah, but that's just that's uh, that's that's not but that's not real defi- historically definitive. That's what I'm saying. I think Once a Future King would probably for a no, lot of people. No, I think that was written. Is it fifty eight? Fifty-eight, yeah. It was. Uh, I mean, it's uh, the Round Table, all that stuff. It's a lot of uh, uh, from, from a modern pop culture point, yeah. I guess is my point. But it, it's, it's, it, 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 are we are we carving these identity in the stone? Like, who is the father of the music video? <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, yeah, but, I, but that's the ending, and of course, and it's in the, I'm not gonna since we spoil the, the ending. Uh, it's in the trailer. This one line, and here I am, a little Southern Baptist boy with my girlfriend, and she's a nice little Southern Baptist girl, and we and uh, and she goes, I, you know, I I love you more than children. I love you more than flowers. I love you more than she, the last thing she says. I love you more than God, and that was a really uh, you know a brain twister for me to take, wrap that around me at the time. Uh, and uh, what do you, I mean, how did that, how did that whole, so you say the scene doesn't work for you then? It's not that it doesn't, well, yeah, I guess, because it's just, why does she need to die? It's, it's, it's this, this whole movie is a basis of like, uh, Robin has she a life independent of her, exactly. Robin has a life on his own. Marion doesn't. Marion's life is completely based on Robin. But then you, you, now we're going to, it's like going back to the Milius uh, podcast we did, uh, the, uh, the whole you're you're doing the whole modern re- modern movement. political retro political correct uh, view of this and, and but wisdom wisdom goes past time don't like, you, but don't you don't you, there's a difference between like giving a movie it's contextual would not the, if a, if you had a girlfriend if you had someone that loved you right now and uh, well Ted we know that's not that's not the end of the cards right now so <laughs> say. I'm just trying to say, and this is a story. Would I want someone this to? Would myth. I want someone to kill themselves for me? No. But if, a, but she loved you so much, and you died of uh, a horrible death, and she wanted to go with you, uh, would? Uh, I think that's sweet. I also think that people can. But this is that's. This is a people's story. lives it's a are rich. And, so, in other words, you so you don't have you don't want that scene in there. I think that's a a, a, a a kind of toxically romantic. So way Romeo and Juliet's bad for you too. Yes. Do you not like? It was weird. Someone po- posed to me the interpretation of Romeo and Juliet is it's about the destructive natures of horny teenagers who will come up with any reason to like want to die young and fuck. Can't you just take it as a story and 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 be and be a symbol of ultimate love? Well, Ted, my I, I think this is a, this is going to be a reoccurring thing between us talking about older movies. Where I think you were alive when this movie came out, and I was not. And I think that the canon re, reassessing a canon is something that's going to be healthy to do. But then it's going to throw out so many movies. That's fine. And, well, and, then what and do you have? And left? the thing about a canon reassessing it is, it's an individual's choice. So if it's fine for you. It's fine for you. I'm just saying 
I think I look at that as just not a the romantic the romanticism of like the end of Titanic versus this just doesn't compare it to me. And maybe that's because I was alive in a teenager when Titanic came out. And if I were a, a teenager now, I'd be like, you know, Jack, you can just get off. You can get on the board, too, and maybe survive. I, you know, well, I, I just, I, I don't know. This, this is to... going to go into an issue I think we're going to go, we're going to return to a bunch of time of movies aging. And I think there's an argument to be made that a movie to be considered, needs to be reconsidered every few years. So Citizen Kane, Orson's, uh, Kane's a really big shithead and he treats his woman bad. So let's throw that movie out. But that movie's a tragedy about a person who is, who's, who's made a lot of bad choices in his life. And he, well, d- she, she made a bad choice. She shouldn't poison herself, but she did. It's treated as a romantic thing. And it's a vaulted romantic thing. This was, look, this is just an issue I had with the ending. It was an interesting. I mean, one thing about Lester is that he, 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 uh, the funny thing about Lester is that he loves to debunk and be, uh, critical and take an intelligent look at this stuff. Well, let me ask you, what kind of, uh, feminist statements do you think Lester had made in his movies? I what are, what are, what are strong if, if, if women he, characters? Is, is he supposed to make feminist statements in his movies? I'm sure that he has some. He's, 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 he's an intelligent guy. He has respect for women, right? Uh, he's it's been happily up. married, I, I, I think, and I, I haven't really. Uh, I mean, surveyed that. Um, I mean, Julie, Julie I, Christine Petulia, would you consider that a? Uh, that's pretty complicated because she's Richard. She's getting beat up by her husband. Mm, well, there you go. And okay. uh, she's kind of uh, a little offbeat character, quirky character, having the affair with Jersey Scott, or or do they even consummate the affair? I don't know. Um. Um, you I mean, know, if you if you want to say I'm being unfair to Lester for historical, well, context. I don't know. I know I, I want to uh, the whole concept though. That's just uh, just I'm just trying to think how so much of things romance that... and things like that. I mean, you're you're saying uh, we all say now, now we're going to oh it's damaging this is bad, and so and I'm thinking, gosh, then what do how do we reconcile this? We get down to like five books that we can enjoy and five movies we can enjoy. No, that's not true at all. Because there's a lot of wisdom in these other movies. You sometimes there, there's an it, it's one thing to say that the movie ultimately seems to display a ton of wisdom and you can throw aside certain aspects to it. But it's another to like have this weird fatalistic. We should die together, even though one of you is fatally wounded. But you know, I don't really have anything else going on besides being a nun. Well, that's that's her character flaw. It's a character in a story. And, I mean, and you it's, can't have those kind of characters in stories anymore. It's we. It's th- that's a bad framing. I'm not saying you can't. I'm not telling what an artist can and can't do. I'm actually yeah, judging. Are. No, I'm judging them for what they have done, or I'm actually pointing out this is my reaction to what they did do and why it did or did not work. For but me. then, uh, so therefore, he's. Anti- this does not apply on every single version of a movie where where a character dies at the end for a romantic reason. But so, but it it, it seems like it taints your view of Lester and his and his whole career. Then, well, watching this again last night, it wasn't helpful. Interesting. I I mean, like I, I I'm open to like finding uh, uh I, I mean I, an ex- I, I, I more exceptions. I mean, I can't argue your point. Uh. I mean, I see your point. You know, it, I, I have this big bugaboo about um, uh, Tom Mankiewicz, the b- a guy who wrote a lot of Bond movies and wrote some of the Superman movies in the 70s. His weird, like, 
make um, women the dumb uh, comic relief, uh, ditzy falling off of something. It seems way more egregious than anything here. But just because of Lester being on Superman 2 and Mankiewicz, Mankiewicz was a, contributed to Superman 2, right? Uh, I think so. Yeah. There was just a, there was just a little holdover, so I was in the mind of looking at, and plus, as I mentioned earlier, I had the unfortunate double feature of probably putting me in the wrong frame for this. Well, I know I'm just you know I'm just trying to uh, not unfortunate. I'm, I'm just... trying to wrap my brain around this because uh, the uh, uh, I just find it very romantic, and I was crying my eyes out every time I watched that sequence, and. Uh, well, let's end on one point I do want to make for, especially for someone who might want to, even though we John, spoiled. Little John, about Little John that scene you said. Oh, you you were on the same page. Like he has his, uh, Robin has his confrontation with Marion. Marion then goes in the chair and slunks over. But his real last meeting before dying was him and John. Yeah, he yells out for Little John. Little John comes and busts the door, and we forget to say that Nicole Williamson's playing him, and it's a really nice performance by Nicole. You hear yeah. these really crazy stories about him, how he acts off uh, uh, his antics in his personal life. And he, and I heard he was maybe hard to work with and he was a drinker too, I think. I imagine. But uh, he's just a little, it's a really nice, quirky, underplayed uh, little John in this movie that I liked. I like how they played the, uh, again, going back, uh, he, you know, little John, uh, they're, they're, they, when King Richard puts him in a, a, a holding cell, and, you know, that is another a That is a very funny scene. He, they, uh, he, he gets he gets on little John's shoulder, and he's gonna. Uh, there's a window they can maybe uh, scrape their way out of. Get an extra block out a of. Block out. So he gets, and so it, it takes for, and you can tell that they've been there forever, scraping, 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 and then all of a sudden the, the king, the king's uh, guard comes in. No, no, a, he gets the block out. Yeah, the block comes out, then... falls down, and then the king comes. Uh, the guard comes in, so he'll see you now. And so there was all for nothing, and they go. <laughs> Um, I did want to end on um, when I felt I ultimately came to the point after you said you wanted to do this movie that um, I want to hear what you had to say about it and I don't want to shit on you you finding the untouching because I find it way more interesting to find any someone here's someone who likes a movie talk about what they like about it than to hear someone like me who was either vaguely indifferent to it or passionately against it shitting on it. Because the positive is going to outweigh the negative in general. The good in them, because it's 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 not hard to pull at the thread of a movie and and tear it apart. But find someone that like loves a movie. It's one of the reasons I love doing this podcast with you, Ted. Is whenever you infectiously love a movie, you get other people to love the movie. And well, I I, 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 yeah. I, di I didn't want to shit on that. Yeah. Well, I hope I hope uh, I hope uh, people will see it, regardless of <laughs> if you have a the Shane's approach to the ending. Uh, uh, which we've already spoiled, so you guys should have you guys should have checked out a long time ago. Yeah, uh, yeah. You wouldn't, but I, but if you come back to it, I'd be curious to see. Uh, uh, I, I would love to hear some responses on this. If people think that uh, that you know this is like I, I now want I want to obviously for some reason I want to call Gloria Steinem up, email her, and ask her what <laughs> Gloria thinks about this ending. Uh, well, it's not even just the ending. You, I want. I mean, you, you'll you'll figure it out. I mean, there's no way Lester is is probably rife with misogyny. I, I can't. Well, imagine. I mean, it's a. I, you know, this is this is a Goldsman. This is a William Goldsman's brother. Bo? Not Bo. This is a different Goldsman. Maybe this is, is this the non-related one or the related one? It's a. You know, it was a pretty. I think the script was pretty strong. I think Lester helped rewrote a little bit of it, but. 
you know, it's in the script. I, maybe just less, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I just, that's just, that's just, you know, now you got my head spinning because I'm just like, you know, you're, you're almost spoiling it, uh, making, making me feel like a poop head. Uh, uh, one of my favorite movies and you've just kind of ruined it for me well uh, uh, let that be an achievement oh my god that's horrible Ted. well i mean i don't know what to tell you i mean i mean what am i supposed to say i mean because that's it's i and i've you know of course i from the beginning that the whole ending always was a big deal in, in one way or another because at the time i go you can't say that you can't love any more anybody more than god you're that's damnation that's that's a you know, that's a that's breaking a Ten Commandment, isn't it? Uh, uh, basically, uh, have no other gods before thee, you know. Yeah. Um, and so you know that she's trying. The whole point is to try to show how strong and and as strong the love they had, and how strong love can be. Well, and, and how and that she's just can't you know she can't she's already tried twenty years of doing living without it and getting beyond it, and at the point of almost she's beyond it. Robin shows back up. Well, let's end on this point. It sounds like you are still romantic, Ted, and romance is dead for me. So, <laughs> if you want to do that, I guess. I don't... That's but it, that, but, uh, that's the reason there's no joy in Mudville when I watch this movie. But anyway, it's a good that's period for Lester. Let me let me tell people this, uh, listeners, that it, it, this is a really interesting, rich, textured uh, uh, version before he gets sucked into the Superman movies and. Just, and things happen beyond that. Uh, did you want to talk about the uh, accident? Oh, why are you sure? What's, oh, your, what, what's your speculation? Because he, he mentioned some vague reasons about... The beyond, main reason... The, is, beyond the... Ac- you want to talk about well, the accident? Well, the main reason is they, he comes back for it. They do a sequel to Musketeers. Roy Kenyer, who plays Planchet, D'Artagnan's servant, he's back. He won, this was like 89, though, or something, wasn't it? it was 88, yeah. And uh, How long of a gap is there? Like, it was Finder's Keeper the last one before that? Uh... Yeah, probably. Uh, that would have been like eighty three or eighty four or something. Yeah, I, I have to look at my filmography quickly, but um, the because uh, he only does uh, he, he ends on a concert film. Uh, but um, oh, it was like a Paul McCartney concert. Yeah, called Get Back. But he uh, Roy, uh, there was an accident on the set, and Roy Kinnear dies. And this is Roy. If you know Lester's career, you know Roy Kinnear. His son is recently in the Bond films, playing the character Tanner, mm. and he looks like his father. If you if you he's know a great that. actor. Uh, and he, uh, the uh, Roy is just so funny, and he's great. And if you see watch Juggernaut, you get to see a great Roy Kinnear performance with a Lester film. And so it just really took the heart out of Lester. Took they just it just put a pall on the set, the filmmaking, and everything. And Lester says it's not worth uh, losing a life making films. So lose, you know the, the loss of a life. Well, it sounds and like he was were, he'd already slowed down before then, though. Sort of, but he was having a hard time trying to get the projects he wanted. If you look at his career, like in the bed sitting room and how I won the war in Petulia. They all, they things, all pile is, up on each other. Yeah. They're, uh, those kind of things. I think he kind of kind of do some of the, some things like that. And he was able to, uh, there's a two, there's a two. He big, hit the eighties of commercial filmmaking. Yeah. And that Finders keepers was, a, I think a favor to somebody. Uh, but uh, Cuba had a problems, uh, with Sean Connery, him and Sean Connery reteam. Uh, that Did was, they fall out. I, I, I thought I read that, Sean was very displeased and, and disappointed and, and frustrated because of the, the script problem. When Soderbergh really puts it to him on certain points, they talk about David Lane leaving for a few years after Ryan's uh, daughter. And and uh, most most of Lester's point is that it's more complicated. Like he, t- he details where he's yeah. probably why Lane left and it wasn't just 
that Lane was uh, hurt over critical reaction to the movie. It was more detailed than that. But it's fascinating. There's, there's, you know, there's an early Lester period where he gets a, he gets an award. The, the Nanak gets an award at Cannes. Oh, and by the way, Petulia would have been at the Cannes. They got canceled because of the riots. Mm. And there's a good chance Petulia could have probably won the, the Palm d'Or that year, I bet. I, uh, I thought he did win a Palm. He did for the Nanak. Oh, you just said that. Sorry. Yeah, and then... um. So then he, the bed sitting room and how they won the war, particularly don't make any money. There's like a four year gap uh, where he just does some commercials and, and, he, and nothing's going on with him. And then he comes back. It's a different Lester. It's a different look. He's not the swing 60s Lester that everybody wants to peg him on. It's more the Musketeer films and Royal Flash and Robin and Marion and Juggernaut. And they're much more uh, layered. But there's there's a little bit of the early Lester in it, but it's, 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 he's kind of got a different mold and look. But he gets to this Musketeers, and it just—I think even the family had to sue him, uh, and, and he, I'm sure he was friends with the family, you know. So it's just a big mess. The family think, sued him for well, the whole oh, the death accident, oh, uh, the accident oh. had uh, why why the, Roy how Kinne- the, accident, the Kinnear family sued him. Kinnear, yeah. So it got really messy, and 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 of course I just uh, if he, he, just a good dear friend and a good actor. So I think they just took the wind out of him. He did one concert film and he quit. And I think he was what in the sixties, maybe. No, uh, if, if did you, did you see? I mean, there's he's he, it's it's a lot like Billy Wilder direct or retiring early, where he probably had another like maybe less tone deaf because Billy Wilder lost a lot of his yeah. zing whenever right. the, no, no, whenever the brink or all the codes started going up. In terms of age, in terms of uh, his contemporaries and peers, he had he he should have had a three or four more good films in him, and he didn't. I mean, he, he stopped. And basically retired, and uh, I think that's hurt him. I think it's that's uh, put a kind of a one where he's forgotten because there's such a gap, there's such a, a, a bigger gap now between him and the history of uh, film history. So, well, that, that, there there is a hill Ted Haycraft will die yeah, on, so, and that hill is Richard Lester's yeah, legacy. Yeah, go check out Richard Lester, folks. All right, so um, Ted, uh, thanks for joining me again. Um, hopefully, you'll be back next week if we do one next week. Um, thanks everybody for listening. 